Well, I once heard a church consultant say that every dying church has one thing in common. He said he had been all over the country working with dying churches, and he said there was one common thing that he heard time after time after time. He said every dying church says, but we're so friendly. He says, you wouldn't believe how many times I've heard somebody say, we've not had a new person join us in 20 years, but we're so friendly. We're like a family. And I know many of you love your families, but is that always a good thing? You know who else is a family? The mafia. <laughs> not all families are families you want to join. Some of them are not very inviting. You know who else is a family? It's the Kardashians. <laughs> Some families normalize or even profit off of dysfunction. Not all families are families we want to be like. Think about your own family. Many of you have great families. Like I said, you probably love your families. But don't you have some weird characters in there? You ever had to be on your way to a family function and you had to talk with your parents or you had to talk with your kids or your grandparents and you had to say something like, you know, when we're at the wedding, make sure not to ask so-and-so about this. You've had those conversations, right? Not everything that happens in a family is ideal for what would happen inside of a church. We've been talking for weeks now about what really matters, what, what must be central to who we are and how we live together as a church if we are going to be a flourishing church both now and into the future. And so to look at this series, we've been looking at the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. In the first week of this series, I had you grab a pew Bible, so I'm going to ask you now to grab a pew Bible and open to 1 Peter chapter 2. And when I did that, I had you circle or star or underline several phrases, four phrases or, or words to be exact, that sort of provided a roadmap for what we were going to look at in this series, four things that matter. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, we started by looking at Jesus as the cornerstone. We started in verse 4 and looked at how our lives have to be founded upon Jesus and nothing else. That both your faith should be founded upon Jesus and our life as a church should have at its core nothing less than Jesus. And then the next week, our transition pastor, Ron Hawkins, talked about the idea of calling. And he used the phrase priesthood of believers. Priesthood of believers, which I had you circle. And he, that's a really biblical way of saying that we need all hands on deck. That if we're going to be a flourishing church, there's a part for each and every one of us, no matter our age, no matter how long we've been around, there's a part for each one of us to play in God's kingdom coming to earth. And then last week, Emily Hamilton, our mission pastor, talked about the idea of mission. That we as a church have been a, a, a passionate about missions for decades. 
And that what we know is what happens in here cannot stay in here, but is meant to go out into the world. That the thing that God is doing in our lives can call others to know and glorify God as well. And what would it look like for us to take that seriously and to trust that God wants us to play along as he brings transformation and justice and love to his creation, to his world. And then this fourth week today, we're going to talk about the idea of community. Now, there are all kinds of ways we can talk about the subject of community. But specifically this morning, what I want to talk about is that it's not enough for us to be a friendly church. We must instead become an intentional church. We have to be intentional about connecting with each other and creating community here that extends the invitation Jesus has made to us to everyone. And that will only happen if we learn to be intentional with each other. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and ask, ask what it tells us about being an intentional community. Verse 10. And I think this translation is slightly different than your pew Bible, but really close. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. I believe the pew Bible says people of God. You are God's people, people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's stop right there. There's a lot to unpack, but this passage starts with the idea that once you were not even a people. And many of us read that and it kind of goes over our heads or we think, so what? And it's because we live in an individualistic culture. And I'm not judging that, it's just true. Our society is based around me, myself, and I as the basic unit of society. But that has not been true for all peoples and all societies and all cultures in history. In fact, many cultures in history have been very communal. When they thought about themselves, they first thought about their identity as a people group, as an ethnic group, as a nationality. They were not individualistic. They were communally based. And so when the the original hearers of this word from 1 Peter would have heard it, they would have thought about one thing. When they heard you were not a people, they would have thought, we don't have an identity. If you're not part of a people, you're lost. You don't know who you are. You don't have an identity. So think about this. Do you have any groups that you identify with? Many of you might have some type of ethnic heritage or nationality, people group, profession, college you attended. There's something out there that you identify with, big or small. And what would happen if you just lost it? If it gave you definition, if it gave you life, if it helped you talk about and make sense of the world, and then all of a sudden it was just gone. I'll give you a silly example. I identify as a Southerner. And as a Southerner, one thing that I'm particularly passionate about is college football. In fact, I spend a lot of Saturday watching college football, much to the chagrin of my children. They can't watch what they want to watch if I'm watching college football. But I love college football. I love talking about it. And what would happen if one day no one I ever interacted with ever had ever heard of college football? If fall came around and college football no longer existed and no one knew about it and no one cared, but it was a part of my identity and then it was just gone out of the world? 
I wouldn't know what to talk about on Saturdays in the fall. I'd be mumbling about something nobody knew what I was talking about. My identity would be lost. Again, silly, small example. But this actually happened to God's people. They lost their identity. So to understand this passage, I'm going to take you back a few hundred years to a prophet named Hosea. Hosea was a prophet to God's people in the Old Testament. It's at the end of the Old Testament. It's a short book. I would encourage you to read it, but I'm going to warn you. It's a weird book. If you ever read prophets, you know prophets can get weird, and Hosea is weird. For example, Hosea is talking to God's people, and he's telling them, look, you have not been very faithful to what God wants for you. So I'm going to give you a nickname. So on behalf of God, Hosea gave the people nicknames. You ready for this? Nickname one, not my people. A weird thing to call somebody. Whole people group, not my people. The second nickname was worse. Their nickname as a people was no mercy. No mercy. We don't think about life in these terms. But to Hosea, it made sense. Because they were once a people, and now he's saying, you're no longer a people. You're not God's people. You're nobody. You've lost your identity. And that would have been huge and painful for them. But right after Hosea says, you're no longer God's people, and you have no longer received mercy because you've been disobedient, he then says, but wait. But God, but God, because of his love for you and his faithfulness and his mercy, mercy that cannot be earned and you do not deserve, but God still loves you. And here's what he says in Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. God says, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. So what Peter is saying in this passage is that this very word has come true because of Jesus. This very word has come true because of Jesus, that in his death and resurrection, Jesus brings his mercy into the lives of all of God's people, and he removes the barrier to you being a part of God's people. He includes you in the family. He includes you intentionally when you did not deserve it and when you could not earn it. You didn't get included into God's family because of your performance. Because you were good enough. You got included into God's family because of Jesus and because of his mercy towards you. And the beautiful thing is you're all in. There's no probationary period. There's no strings attached. He just includes you. He says you weren't, once you were not a people, but now you were God's people. Once you had no mercy, now you have been given the mercy of God. What you have to hear is When you did not deserve it, God was intentional with you. He was intentional about coming to you and pursuing you and loving you 
even though you did not earn it or deserve it. And because God has been intentional with you, you now have been given a new identity as God's people. All right, so the question for us is, if God has been intentional with us and brought us into his people, what would a group of people look like who live together based on the fact that God has given us his undeserved mercy? How would that group of people live together? So I want to give you some ideas of what it would look like for us to live in intentional community because God has first been intentional with us. Four things that I think are important for us to keep in mind and to practice. I'm going to call them the four P's of intentional community. And I'll be honest with you, I do not know why P. Because my name's Petey, maybe? Thanks for the pity laughter, nice. (laughs) Four P's of intentional community. The first is present. If we are going to be intentional with each other, we have to be present to each other. So I don't know about you, but the main thing that keeps me from being present I don't know what I'm doing. Half an hour can go by and I'm just scrolling stuff. One app, back to the other, back to the other, back to the other. And I can't be present because I'm consumed with something like my phone. This doesn't just affect young people, by the way. I know it doesn't because I see it all the time. We cannot be present to each other if we are glued to our devices. Did you know that research says that even if your phone is on the table face down and turned off, it pulls you out of conversation? To be intentional with each other, we have to be present. And we have to be present in the flesh sometimes. So I'm going to go there. You have to show up. I'm going to challenge you. You have to worship in the flesh with God's people. Make a commitment. If if you're going to be a part of a community, show up. Pray together. Hear God's word together. Sing together. Talk about life. We have to learn to be present with each other if we're going to create the kind of intentional community that God desires for us. So the first P is present. The second P is pursue. We have to pursue people. Don't be pushy. Nobody likes pushy people. But how many of us, I'm bad at this. I can get so caught up in the busyness of life. We have lots to do, lots going on. And I can get so caught up in what I have to take care of that I can forget to pursue people. Who is God calling you to pursue? And I want to tell you, our staff at CPC and our elders, your elected leaders, have committed to this. We have said part of the way we want to do our work as the leaders of this church, is to pursue people. And that might sound really obvious to you, but we can all get busy in the stuff we have to take care of. But what would it look like if we intentionally pursued others, both those inside the community and those outside? So we have to be present and we have to pursue, and we also have to believe that God is a God of plenty. God is a God of plenty. What I constantly hear is, you're so relationally full. You have so many friends. You have so much family around. I get it. I know 
A lot of us feel like we can't handle one more friend. That's not what I'm saying. If we believe that God is a God of plenty, a God of abundance, and not a God of scarcity and a God of lack, then we can pursue people without having to worry about whether or not we have the space. We can just trust that the God of abundance will provide for us. Can we create intentional community by believing that God has plenty of us to go around and there's plenty of him to go around? That we don't have to be hoarding with our time. We don't have to be hoarding with Jesus. We have to be present to people and we have to pursue them. And we have to believe that God has plenty of us to go around and then to be intentional. We sometimes have to have pointed conversations. Pointed conversations. I can't tell you how embarrassing it is (laughs) to have a conversation with somebody and walk away half an hour later and go, what did we talk about? It's like the whole conversation went by and we didn't say anything of value. And that's okay sometimes. Not every conversation has to be soul-bearing and deep. But Christians should have those in their lives who they ask and who ask of them tough questions. How's your soul? How's work? How's school? How's your marriage? What are you struggling with? What's breaking you? When's the last time you read God's word? When's the last time you prayed? Do you have people in your life that ask you pointed questions? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that great German theologian, once said that the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. We have to learn to have pointed conversations to press into the work that Jesus is doing in our lives. We cannot settle for just friendly passing conversations, but we must learn what it looks like to practice intentional community together, to create space for belonging in God's family. When we moved into our house a few summers ago, the very first day we were there, we had neighbors across the street come over and speak to us. They were really nice. They were about our age. They had kids and a dog. We we chatted for a minute. I just thought, those might be friends of ours. So the next day, I see them out in their yard, and I walk over to say hello, but as I walk over, I say hi, and they say hi, and then they go back inside. A few days later, I'm walking the dog down the street. I pass them. I say hello. And I'm going to stop and ask them, hey, tell me where you're from, etc. But they just keep walking. And so I just think, well, maybe they're busy. Maybe they've got a lot of stuff going on. We'll catch up sooner or later. Two years (laughs) and three months later, all we've ever had from them is, hi, hello, hi, hi. Friends, that's how some people experience the body of Christ. It's how they experience church. Hi, good to see you. Love your outfit. See you next week. It's fine. It's friendly. But can we not settle for that? Can we push ourselves to be intentional because of what Jesus has done for us? Can that drive us? Because Jesus has been intentional with us, can we be intentional with others? 
You know, we communicate who we are as a church, not by a bunch of fancy words on a website, mission statement and vision and values. We communicate who we are by how we treat each other. Jesus said that to his disciples. Jesus told his disciples, the world will know that you are my followers by one thing and one thing only, how you love one another, how you treat each other, how you live together in intentional community. And in essence, what he was saying to those 12 disciples was that the world will be changed by 12 people who live intentionally together, more so than the masses who just show up for the show. What would it look like for us to forget about just being friendly and to step into being intentional as a community? Because when we are intentional, intentionality draws us it pulls us into our identity in Christ. And what we'll find is that intentionality is what pulls people into the church, not friendliness, intentionality. Jesus has done something for us, and that should change the way we live. And it should change the way we live together.